1: Marooned at the Movies
0: with, with Matt and Hillary?
1: I'm here to record Marooned at the Movies and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum, and I don't even like bubblegum all that much because it's just kind of gross, and it uh, you know it gets, it gets tasteless after a while. So uh-huh. instead, we're just going to record uh, Marooned at the Movies.
2: That That's right. Uh, um, yeah, that's okay. right. And... Uh, <laughs> So so two things. Um, One, uh, we have a special guest with us, which is really exciting. Uh, And two, we're talking about a John Carpenter movie.
1: Yes, we're talking. Yes. First, uh, to to take both of those things in order, (laughs) our guest is named Bill. He's our good friend of ours. Hi, Bill.
3: Oh, oh my gosh, you guys. I just have to weigh in on those two things myself. (laughs) Number one super excited to be here long time listener first time guest yeah uh and i absolutely loved the uh first marooned at the movies episode huge huge fan of of that film huge fan of you two talking about that film and huge fan of getting to talk to you about this film which like what a perfect follow-up for born in flames
2: (laughs) yeah yeah totally totally
1: I agree. And just to pick up on that point you were saying, and to follow up on Hillary's second point, this is, a, this is a John Carpenter film. It's called They Live! And it was uh, released in 1988.
2: Uh, an amazing movie. So I, I was really trying to rack my brains for when I, I've only seen this movie twice, once oh this God. week. Yeah. i know i know i figured you would say that That's i know you great. both have seen you both have seen this movie multiple times yeah. um,
3: this was only my third time and i think it may be the first time i don't know what happened the previous two times but i think this may be the first time i saw the last 20 minutes
1: oh really oh. you just like stopped at a certain i'm not sure and... yeah
3: I, I i or at least my uh my ability to retain memories was yeah. over at that point mm-hmm. in previous mm-hmm. watches <laughs>
1: I think I've probably seen this movie. I would probably say I've seen it like five times or something like that. Um, But I definitely had not seen it. I don't know. The first time I saw it was probably only like 10 or 15 years ago. I did not see it like as a teenager or certainly when it first came out.
2: I I am pretty sure. I was trying to remember, and I think I either saw it like at the Student Film Society when I was in college. I was trying to remember if I'd seen it on a screen or only on a, only mm. on like TV or this uh-huh. time my laptop. Um, and I vaguely feel like maybe I saw it on a screen, but it was like a shitty screen. So I think it could have been like the Film Society when I was in college. Mm. Um, or else I watched it on VHS probably at some point in college. And I sort of remembered it because it, you know... Uh, or I felt like I remembered it because it, it its conceit is quite famous is well yeah. known it has mm-hmm. a well-known conceit um Very. but like watching it again both I felt like it was much it's much to me it's much stranger than its um than just thinking about the sort of like conceit of the film would lead you to think um and uh, also it felt. Weirdly, uh, very resonant with our very current moment in a way that I was not prepared for at all.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I had a similar experience, and I wondered. I I kept wondering: is this? Is this? is this uh is it that it has these layers of reson- resonance or is it that it's so plastic that it's such a yeah, such yeah. A, a plastic form that it's so easily i was imagining myself as uh uh you know as some kind of like wh- how does a uh uh our our picture of the right-wing nut job conceive mm-hmm. of this movie and i see it as a very appealing movie to Ooh. to any any kind of uh any kind of of ideology on that mm. you want to put on it.
1: Mm. it 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 does have that hollywood uh, uh plasticity that ambiguity that um you could kind of read a lot of different things into it um but i think uh like the point about it feeling very resonant for today i think it's like both because it we're in such like extremely similar circumstances maybe to mm, the late mm-hmm, 80s mm-hmm. uh the reagan and and trump presidencies feel extremely resonant like first is tragedy second is farce type mm, thing mm-hmm. but also because <laughs> this is like i mean uh as an allegory for capitalism and the class war this is timeless like this is a perfect mm-hmm. text yeah for yeah. like what uh what that's all about and it like it's a movie it's a movie that like literal literalizes the concept of class war you know like yeah. you're literally now uh, fighting people with guns and ammunition it's no longer just in the realm of ideology it bursts out of the realm of ideology into the form of like material
2: conflict yeah yeah although I would say like if yeah 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 that seems right and I, I hope that we'll talk a bit about how much uh how how much, at least in the first sort of, I don't know, uh, episode of the film, the first mm. act of the film, mm-hmm. uh, we get a lot of police brutality, yeah, um, and w- which is just like literal police brutality, um, and that part seemed to me, um, which, you know, is just like, is also like, literal class war, right?
1: Right, right. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: uh, But of a different kind than the the kind that we... uh, that develops later on in the movie, you know, but is the kind of, like, literal class war that is being conducted, you know, all over the, you know, our country and obviously other places in the world, like, right now, too. Mm -hmm. So there's a really interesting... I mean, this is a good... um, uh, This is a good movie for thinking about questions about... um, about allegory and Mm. like what allegories do and like this is a movie that seems to me to both have these allegorical elements and to have some elements that make the allegory kind of like fall apart or like get weird or not function quite as smoothly and that's that's also really interesting also it uh you know it stars uh a professional wrestler yeah Rowdy Roddy Piper um in what honestly is one of the more amazing and weirder movie performances I think I can think of
3: without a doubt
1: Bill what do you think about Rowdy Roddy Piper
3: you know, uh, I remember. I remember reading somewhere that uh, it, it may be in a couple of places where Brody Piper's casting is is mentioned in contrast to Kurt Russell's casting uh-huh. and other Carpenter projects. Mm-hmm. And he is like, he's just the he's just like a delicious version of Kurt Russell that I didn't know I wanted <laughs> until I was presented with it. It's one where sort of like. Where everything is, and I guess this is the point, right? Like, where everything that's Kurt Russell-y is stripped away, and you're left with this sort of glorious confection.
1: See, I was, yes, I was thinking about it in in another another metaphor, which is like, yes, there's definitely like, this is like a Kurt Russell clone, but it's like the clone that is like... uh, yeah, like, it's like the... There the was an error in the process somewhere. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, confection, or it's like distilled. It's like, it's like, or to t- squared. It's like a mm. Kurt Russell uh, 2.0, right? Where he's, he's buffer, he's taller, he's dumber, uh, his hair is still the same, basically. It's like less greasy, um, but it's definitely like... Uh this is too low budget of movie to get Kurt Russell at this point in 1988 but he but Carpenter still needs Kurt Russell so uh and also it's it's too kind of like yeah raw of a raw or like quote unquote like scare quotes dumb of a movie so he needs like yes a kind of like second tier bargain basement uh not a star Kurt Russell right
2: and in, in some ways, I mean, I don't know whether this, like, and None makes... of those are
1: insults, by the way. I don't mean no, any no, of those no. things oh, no, no, insults. It's, it's,
3: no. Ma- it's what makes him perfect for it. Roddy Piper
1: it's... is perfect. This is an amazing performance and role for him. It was He's, he's uh, as I joked on Twitter yesterday, Rowdy Roddy Piper shines. He yeah.
3: shines. There's not he a does... better version of this movie that had Kurt Russell in it. No. Oh, no no, no, no,
2: no, no. And it's partly good because, like, yeah, so I see that one one version of... Uh, I mean, just like the way that he looks is so amazing, and uh, hopefully, we'll talk about how often his shirt is not on in this movie in a way that's <laughs> just like. I don't so think we can avoid talking about so that. So funny, um, but uh, there's one version of him that he is this like bargain basement Kurt Russell, or like he's the clone, but something went a little bit wrong, and it doesn't seem like he's totally like clicked into like being in the world, um, or that he, you know, you know, he's just like. Um, like Bill, this is what I take you meant by confection. Like the more, the more muscles, the taller, the whatever. Um Absolutely. But it's also like he's Kurt. He is Kurt Russell. I mean, who he looks? I mean, you know, he does look like whatever, approximately similar to Kurt Russell, I guess. Mm, he's <laughs> hair, very hair, hair and uh, physique-wise, mm-hmm. um, but uh, in another version of it, I think he's Kurt, Kurt Russell, but with the sort of like. Um, with the stuff that you know is su- supposedly supports movie stardom stripped away, like right, yeah, you yeah, know, because yeah. mm-hmm. the idea is supposed to be that like you know we love we love the star, but it's because they're like uh, one that they they can't they're they're a good actor, right? They're supposed mm-hmm. to be able to act in some way or have like some magic, you know, like you know, an it factor or like an aura that makes them, you know, shines out of the screen or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, I don't know whether we don't need to like debate whether that's what really makes a star a star, (laughs) but there is something about Roddy Piper here who just like nothing. I mean, like he's actually quite uncharismatic and Mm -hmm. he has like an oddly, he's like a little bit detached in ways that at moments reads like a kind of you know maybe that's something in the character but maybe it's just like a feeling a feeling that you get and yet he and yet he occupies that role that supposedly can only be occupied by a very special person like with all caps there this person who does not seem to be special in that way actually Mm -hmm. occupies the role like really really brilliantly so there's Mm -hmm. like an exposure of like something that I'm you know is like real, some real kind of thing in having him there, you know.
3: The way he inhabits that absence, I think, lets you wear this movie in a way that you can't wear a Kurt Russell, John Carpenter movie because mm-hmm. Kurt Russell's already wearing it, but you can slip <laughs> into this and it's such a different experience. In, in many ways, it feels like playing a first person video, first person video game where there's not great story around you and yet you are moving through this world. I mean, which is not to say this That's is not great story. I, 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 who, this is a, a superlative movie, but uh, yeah, you just inhabit it. You inhabit it in the way you inhabit a largely scripted world that you are on rails moving through.
2: That's interesting.
1: So, a couple of things I just want to lay out for the listener who may never have seen this movie. I don't imagine anyone listening to this has not seen They Live, but. Two two things I want to just highlight, and or is not familiar with Carpenter's oeuvre. The first thing I'll say is that, you know, Kurt Russell was in Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., and The Thing. I think those are the three movies that he was in that uh, were written and directed by John Carpenter. Is there a fourth? Uh, uh I don't
3: think so. Big Trouble in Little China is. Big not...
1: Trouble in Little China. Yes, it, it is. Yeah? Okay. It is John Carpenter. Yes, another great um, bizarre uh, uh, movie, um, and then. Th- th- Basically the conceit of they live is that Rowdy Roddy Piper plays a drifter who gets caught up in a story about, or a kind of, he finds out that the world is peopled by, uh, aliens or, or as the script calls them ghouls, um, that basically occupy (laughs) the position of the ruling class uh, and are, have been hypnotizing all of planet earth, uh, to essentially do their bidding and, um, uh sleep, you know, essentially. Um and so in that regard too, Piper's casting here is great because he ha- he does have this kind of extremely lethargic, almost um just woken up affect mm-hmm. every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um and uh the other thing that I would say about uh going off of what Hillary you were talking about about his star status is that there is a kind of like deconstruction if you will that's the wrong word to use of the kind of star as commodity fetish type Mm -hmm. thing here Mm -hmm. Uh, because the star is himself a commodity but then yeah looking at piper he Mm -hmm. does he does lack the star quality of a kurt russell on the big screen um you know versus his like um his his you know day job as a professional wrestler in which he had like you know has an amazing amount of charisma and star quality when he's doing a live performance in front of, you know, 20,000 screaming fans like, you know, suplexing Jake the Snake Roberts off the top rope or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there is a kind of a matter of a kind of like transition between media where something gets lost and then something else becomes gained as well. Uh like the kind of star quality kind of doesn't totally Uh, glom on to the kind of the medium of Rowdy Roddy Piper here
2: yeah yeah that seems really right yeah and that makes me think another thing we should try to talk about is um, uh, is embodiment in the movie Mm. I mean this goes with like the shirtlessness but uh, the movie actually is uh, I don't know I think it is actually like quite uh, interesting in the way it tries to think about like embodiment that is like having a material body and Mm -hmm. being in a position also in which you kind of like have to experience the materiality of your body versus Mm -hmm. being in a position which you don't have to experience the materiality of your body, which seems to be the case for the, the alien slash, uh, ghouls. Mm -hmm. Um, I also love, so, uh, um, the, the very first scene of the movie is, uh, Roddy, piper who's does not have a name in the movie right
1: only in the credits no he's, he's called okay. nada nada
2: Nada. yeah <laughs> the very first scene is him like getting off a train yeah. uh he's like coming into town um so what's uh, it, yeah what's
1: interesting about that is we don't actually see him get off the train he's just sort of there yeah, between two the, trains
2: in the train in the train yeah. yard um and and uh, like the idea that he is a drifter, right, uh-huh. which is, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, like, I, is a word that des- describes a way that people live, but also has a kind of like anachronistic kind of quality to it. Um, And the idea of, like, him, like, drifting into town, like, I think sets us up for thinking that the movie is going to do something that it doesn't do. Like, it's going to really matter, like, who this person is and, like, what set of things, like, he puts in motion. Mm. Um, But in a lot of ways, like, although he is, like, the center of the movie, it really is not a movie, you know, like, it doesn't, there's nothing in it that, in which, like, um, his story matters really at all Mm -hmm. um other than he is part of a world and the world that you are like immediately brought into um uh is just a world of like uh pretty radical but very mundane like destitution and Mm -hmm. precarity um you know, a world of just like joblessness mm-hmm. um, and there being no jobs and being rejected for jobs and having to like make your way any way you can make your way of people sleeping outside. So the extremely, you know, like precarious world of a sort of of the like proletariat is like the world that you walk into right at the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I did love go ahead ahead. no go ahead Bill I did love thinking of him in the beginning especially I had not noticed in previous viewings that it's specifically Santa Fe railroad train cars that are rolling past which are so iconic but it makes him this sort of uh, tumbleweed blowing into this dusty western mm-hmm, town mm-hmm. across the across the santa fe landscape uh and he, it's part of that confection if he's cotton candy in this confectionery mm-hmm. mode he's a tumbleweed in this vegetative <laughs> mode <laughs> that's great <laughs>
1: no i mean it has you know carpenter claims that almost all the movies that he makes are westerns and so like with that in mind like and this is set in los angeles although the town is never named the city is never named but it does have that that uh structure of the the drifter there is also a character in the in the movie that is called drifter in the credits but um of the drifter arriving into, into town. And in a Western, if a drifter comes into town, he's going to like, yeah, as like, like Hillary is saying, he's going to change the whole town here. Uh, Nada is arriving in like the biggest city in the world, you know? So there's nothing, there's, there's no way that he can change anything about this, you know, uh, you know, this giant inertial structure. That's just kind of lumbering on. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's also mm-hmm. in that regard too, like, on, the, on the, the notion of the cowboy, uh, uh, Nada is like <clears throat> the personification of alienated labor of the proletariat. He arrives into town with nothing except for the clothes on his back and a backpack full of, uh, of tools and tools. a sleeping bag. That's all he's got. Um, and so he is just kind of like the homelessness of modernity, uh, you know, incarnated in a way.
2: And it's, yeah, and, like, um, oh, sorry, Louise just jumped up on the table and distracted me with her forcefulness. Um, So something I was just thinking about, um, uh, it did take me, watching it this time, it took me a couple of minutes uh, at the beginning because I was thinking, wait, isn't this movie set in L.A.? And at the beginning, it, like, it does very clearly, very consciously does nothing to let you see like a version of LA that you recognize as LA. I mean, it really Uh is. It has a kind of, other than that he goes down a hill, I believe Uh he goes down a hill first. Um, but other than that, it does nothing to like, um, sort of, uh, let you, like, let you identify the place in the ways in which you would think a film would let you identify the place. I was just thinking about how in that, um, the like uh, the uh, recent um, HBO Perry Mason um, mm. re- remake riff, which I actually thought was really pretty good. That it's like really interested in sort of exposing the way in which like um, you know the sort of like the two sides of LA, right? This kind of like um, glamorous Hollywood side versus like you know the destitution of like um, you know the working classes in the early 1930s when the film is set. And it does that by, like, just showing you this, like, kind of – it gives you all of these contrasts, right, to set that up, um, just in case you miss the point. I mean, I think it's a pretty smart show, but it, like, doesn't want you to miss the point, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> whereas, the, whereas, like, in They Live, like, at first, we actually just come into and are surrounded by the idea that, like, a certain form of dispossession is normal life, right? Mm-hmm. And the contrast, if there's a contrast, you know, has to, I think, has to be in your head to the specific sort of like terms of the ideology of like late Reagan era United States, right? right. To the city on the hill or morning in America or whatever it is, because it's like, uh, you know, this is like uh, just a world of like... Um, you know the best the best that you get is to be like in this sort of secretarial position at the employment agency where all you're doing is being intensely bored and like turning oh. people down for right. jobs right right yes so I, like i i'm really I, I that beginning i think is great for a movie that is all about like developing this like visual contrast in which like first you see the world the way you think it is, then you see the world the way it really is. Mm-hmm. Like, not doing the sort of, like, you think everybody's rich, but look, everybody's actually poor, and instead just saying, like, actually this, this is what life is, right? Mm-hmm. This this sort of, like, vision of dispossessed working class life is what life is, and we mm-hmm. don't need a contrast to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's given to you in the very thinnest way uh. uh <clears throat> that that precarious proletariat or the precariat moment at the beginning is given to you as this that is the only utopian moment in the in the film that where you have people living together in some way that is like and it's the thinnest because they i think it's also the only sort of like open space or green green Mm -hmm. space that you see in Mm -hmm. in the film so the the it's this very like thin, thin functioning community on this very thin, in this very thin natural environment, uh, which of course, like e- even in the way that it's it's mowed down, it, it's the push of material across this, the, across the, the that natural landscape that seems to dominate the scene mm-hmm. in that moment.
1: Yeah, it's just this empty, <clears throat> empty lot that if if it were in a movie today, we would compare it to Occupy um but because it's in 1988 it's more like a shanty town that we hmm. more likely see in like a great depression movie like my man godfrey uh-huh. or something like that yeah yeah um yeah before when we when he's in the job placement and was also there's like the thinnest kind of layer of um giving you the kind of story i mean actually it it's thin at the beginning but it thickens up with a few um you know, uh, monologues by Keith David's character and finally by Roddy Piper's character where they kind of describe their pasts a little bit. But when he's in the job placement office, he just gives like very the very standard answer of like, I worked there for 10 years, jobs dry- dried up, 14 banks closed. You know, basically like you guys know the story. We don't need to like mm-hmm. explain to you how all of this shit works. Um, this is like the story of America in the seventies and eighties. Um, mm-hmm. and at that point is when he, um, you know, uh, sort of starts wandering around and, and, uh, spend some time in a park, um, you know, and then, uh, I think he sleeps rough that one first night, um, yes. sees a, yeah. and then, and that's also the first moment where we see, first of all, the street preacher who is giving uh, a kind of sermon about, uh, you know, they own us, there's masters all around us, Um, the cops show up and take him away. And then he sees a guy who is transfixed by a wall of televisions um, on the sidewalk. And that's the first kind of glimpse that we see of like the way that media is portrayed in the film. Um, and in that that night too when he's like sleeping he's watching TV through a window through
2: a window yeah, yeah.
1: and that's like the most amazing kind of it's also like it's completely in the background like Carpenter's withholding a lot but also like laying in a lot of because if you're a first time viewer and you don't really know what the trick what the conceit is um, you don't know what to look for and the woman is on the TV is giving this completely insane monologue <laughs> it's crazy
2: yeah <laughs> it's very crazy yeah, and it's such a good, um, that scene is so, um, is partly so crazy because it's like, it's again not, so he, he's sleeping outside, he's like in an alley or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, just trying to stay warm, um, no prospects ahead of him, um, And I think often you would think that then, if there is like a lighted window near the like spot where the person is sleeping outside, from the what you're going to see inside is going to be like you know warmth or like the good life or security or something like that. But instead, like the window is like weirdly very close to the ground. I mean, it's like disconcertingly Mm. placed, and Mm. the window is really only a window onto a TV set. Yeah, and what is going on in the TV set is just a woman in like a particularly horrible iteration of like late eighties, like glamor makeup and hair Mm -hmm. um, talking essentially like, you know, having this slightly nonsensical kind of like monologue, which we can hear despite Mm -hmm. the fact that we are outside, Mm -hmm. right. You know, in the alley with Roddy Piper. And there's something about that spatially that is just like really, really weird, like Mm -hmm. way beyond, um you know again like you know if the if the central thing that is the thing that's supposed to be the central thing in the movie is that it turns out that you can see that we are in the grip of these like alien ghoul masters you can see that if you put on the right pair of sunglasses right so you can like see this kind of like um oh see the world as it really is um but but like what we experience in that first scene is just a lot stranger than a kind of like oh this is how everything seems normal versus like the weirdness that you get to see when you put the sunglasses on. Does that make sense?
1: I think so. Bill,
3: her her speech is <laughs> her. I I don't remember the content of her speech other than uh, it did harken me back to your conversation about the talk show in born in flames but i think part of part of what she seems to do in retrospect is uh she gives you she gives you the uncanny sense that you I mean I guess it's a, it feels I felt a couple of things it gives you the uncanny sense of seeing the weird the, seeing a person acting normal while wearing that uh, that astonishing makeup uh, <laughs> but she's somehow doing the <laughs> acting version of that makeup uh, in giving you this bizarre stilted quasi other dimensional performance um, she's ta- she's it's almost
1: like a she's almost talking like as if she's on a televangelist show or something like that because she's really speaking as if she's having a religious experience but she's saying basically what she's saying is about how much she wants to be on TV and famous Mm -hmm. and then her line is and I'll never grow old and I'll never die
0: (laughs) (laughs) and it's like
3: and you want to make oatmeal right away and
0: it's like
1: you know that is what the promise of stardom (sighs) is the allure of stardom and uh, it's really kind of a sick, perverse, uh, you know, uh, prospect.
2: It's just, I I just like, a thing I find delightful about this movie is this, you could just, you could summarize it really easily. You can write like a really short, like two sentence thing where you say, mm-hmm. this is what this movie is about. Um, and yet it's weirdnesses, and, and some aspects of it feel very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, isn't it just like kind of making know like unfolding its story in like the cheapest and most convenient way a movie can Mm -hmm. unfold its story and yet like it is just full of things that are so strange that to me they like amplify in a way that like the story itself is like um you know probably better described I mean Matt like you said like as allegorical rather than as science fictional but there is Mm -hmm. something in the the sort of uh there's something in like the layers of weirdness in the world and the things it does and doesn't pay attention to that give it a certain um give it a quality that maybe like points toward the science fictional, in other words, like mm-hmm. begin makes it feel like this is a world that is in some ways like doesn't not exactly our own world.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm one of the things that I uh, listening to the, the your conversation about born in flames one of the similarities that showed up in this one was the the strange narrative rhythms which maybe is part of uh, or at least what I'm thinking of from from what you're saying Hillary that it it's it, it, it there aren't a lot of moments where it feels like it's satisfying a trajectory that's particularly familiar it's i e- even w- watching it again it's like oh right okay now we're now we're doing this this is the thing that this is the place we're going this is the thing we're doing now and it th- there's not like even in the the quest for the big bad there's not a there's not a there's not a there there it's a series mm-hmm. of sort of distanced yeah. happenstances that mm-hmm. that don't quite feel connected to something like uh, an an action movies beats or a science fiction movies uh, mm-hmm. beats that, that in some ways you you go hoping to see, uh, although its subversion of them is part of what makes it utterly delightful.
1: The, the status as a science fiction is interesting and also the status of it as a kind of very simple film but then <coughs> one you can talk about for like endlessly is, is interesting because actually before we started recording I was like what are we actually going to say about this movie because it's so there, it's just so on the surface or I mean so, you know, simple but then you yeah. can really start picking it apart but on that note, <coughs> there I did reread there is a monograph of this book by Jonathan Lethem For a series called Deep Focus. So there's a whole little short little one of these like short little books similar to those like BFI books that you get um, by Jonathan Lethem. And he, one thing he points out is that um, the screenwriter that's listed is actually a. a a pseudonym for john carpenter and the screenwriter is frank armitage which is the name of one of the protagonists from and from the dunwich horror the hp lovecraft uh, book or story and then um but that this is also based on a short story called eight o'clock in the morning by a guy named ray nelson and ray nelson is one of the only two, according to Letham, one of only two people with whom Philip K. Dick ever collaborated on a novel. So huh. there is a definite like pedigree uh, of um, yeah science fiction uh, in this film, and also the book that Letham writes on. They live is published in 2010, and it's worth reading for sure. He, it's it's very it's very good. He uh, and he he sort of goes through the whole film sort of beat by beat um, in uh, in some compelling ways it's not a perfect book but it's it's really good um, <laughs> but so one of the one of the things that he does talk about in the book is the relationship between nada and keith david uh, i guess his name is frank right
3: frank carmenage uh, who uh
1: who they meet on this construction site where nada you know successfully sells his labor to the foreman Um, And then Keith David notices him shoveling stuff without a shirt on Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in a very, like, pointed way.
2: (laughs) Yes. And whilst he, uh, Frank, is wearing a purple, uh, low-cut purple tank top. That's right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is, uh, you know a hilarious i mean clearly a, quite i would assume like quite deliberately hilarious sort of like cruising moment mm-hmm. between the two of them uh, i mean sure. it's not clear whether like right, whether uh, nada has any awareness of like he just cuz he just like pulls his shirt off like really randomly yeah <laughs> as if like on, but but clearly like on a construction site that is actually not normally like what happens yeah that you just obviously rela- do this shirtless
3: <laughs> their relationship was the first thing that popped into my head hillary when you were talking about the materiality mm. of the movie not least for the famous fight scene which in this viewing showed up as uh, sort of you know it, it, it it's such a it's such a uh, frustrated tender interaction between these two dudes for five minutes just like trying to hold each other and and tearing tearing away from this ongoing embrace uh that 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 first initial scene uh when you know what's coming with that with that amazing alley fight scene that first scene is is the, the cruising setup that's the end of your your trajectory and it's it's such a Tender, fucked up fight. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And afterwards, they go to a hotel together. That's right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Just as one would hope. (laughs)
1: Um, And they, uh, Frank takes, basically takes Nada to the, to um, what's called Justiceville, I guess, which I only really learned by reading the the Letham's book. But I guess uh, Keith David does say it's called Justiceville when he first, um, uh, brings him there and at first Nada Nada is like following Frank from far behind and he stops and and he goes I don't like nobody following me unless I know why and then Nada goes well I don't join up with anybody till I see where he's going and that is just such a perfect moment of dialogue because like alien labor is completely alienated even from itself you know like there's just like profound suspicion among these two men um and there's kind of total paranoiac knowledge but then also they bond over that paranoiac knowledge like once they exchange those lines they like smile at each other and like now oh i can trust this guy because he doesn't trust anybody either it's kind of like really funny
2: yeah yeah yeah, and it's interesting that the um, so the the so basically like Frank is like you know come if, come with me. This is a place where you can live, right? And it is like you know Matt, as you were saying, it's like a shanty town, um, and definitely we get resonances with like the idea of the shanty town, and um, but it has some qualities too of like um, you know like a temporary autonomous zone because mm-hmm. they are you know it's made actually pretty clear to us that um so first of all it's it's extremely diverse like we see it as like um uh you you know the we're we're clearly being like deliberately shown the like race slash ethnic diversity of the space um and then we also see very clearly that it is a it's you know it's basically like a place where people are like making figuring out how to together produce um the things that they need to be able to live right Mm -hmm. you know um so there's food there's food there are showers there are all these different ways of like configuring like you know tents and other kinds of private spaces people are collaborating together Um, And, you know, I think Bill said it has a sort of like, there's, it is a kind of like utopian moment in the film, Mm. you know, and it's quite interesting. And I I think that it that the um, that aspect of it seems to be like taken pretty seriously, you know, that like, um, Mm -hmm. in comparison to the 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 urban world that uh not a first enters into which is like sleeping in alleys lining up outside the employment agency here we actually see people like you know cooperatively doing something together mm-hmm. um, which it which is like it's to me that's a, it's a very like interesting move to make because it's very very temporary in the film um, mm-hmm. you know like we we really have like uh uh, it, it mostly like functions in terms of the plot to put like Nada in proximity um, to this church where that street pre- preacher you referenced um, mm-hmm. is the preacher, um, where it turns out uh, is the sort of like little cohort of people who have are trying to like stop or uh, battle um, the alien invasion. Like mm-hmm. the church is like a sort of organizational center for them, mm-hmm. but. But I think there's something about having early on in the film like this kind of this uh, sort of vision of a form of communal life that has kind of like sprung up in what is otherwise like this fucking like uh, wasteland. And I think at this point in the movie, we we still haven't seen any like have we seen rich people yet or like bourgeois people at all? (laughs)
1: No, like um, the closest that we come to is uh, the woman at the job placement, you know, the job office who tells him, you know, no, there's no jobs or whatever. And she (laughs) kind of just by her basic physical appearance, based on what we learn what the ghouls look like later she's kind of a candidate for maybe this is a ghoul or maybe she, this is just a you know nasty bourgeois woman who's mean to, who's mean to people professionally um but up until then we haven't seen any kind of rich people um, yeah i
2: guess except for the woman on tv who wants to live forever <laughs> <And> forever <laughs>
3: On a subsequent rewatch, I would want to see if the employment office woman is wearing the telltale golden watch on her oh, on her wrist, because oh, I imagine yeah, her, yeah. I imagine her as a, as a, in the same sort of social strata as the dude watching the TV that uh, John Nada is watching through the window. Um, but yeah, um, I'd, I'd 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 like to know who is she?
1: That's What's her story? That is something to revisit and, and look for. Um, yeah, so, like, this kind of, like, shanty town, this kind of, like, uh, church that's doing sort of a kind of direct action, sort of, like, feeding the homeless Maoist practice, but then they have the church as their base of operations to what we find out is create these Hoffman lenses, um, but even what's also weird about this space is there's the, there's still a tv there in this empty field yeah right? mm-hmm. yeah and the, t- mm-hmm. <laughs> and the tv yeah. <laughs> is the first time that we see them like break into the the transmission right in that way that like reminds me so much of born of the climax of born in flames when yeah yeah when they finally taking over the media to to spread their message and expose uh people and what's really interesting too which is built on as well is that these the times when the the main feed is broken into first of all people appear to exclusively be watching commercials. There's really just commercials and news broadcasts. Like there's no like, except for one moment. Um, I think they they show uh, an old science fiction movie on TV, but other than that, it's like all commercials and news broadcasts. So there's not like any kind of fictional escape from this world. It's just you know, um, crass commercialism dictating to you what you're supposed to buy and desire and feel, and then, uh, and then, uh, news broadcasts, which dictate to you what you're supposed to fear, uh, and feel mm. and desire. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they break into the, they break into this feed and it gives everybody headaches. Right. It gives everybody like when they break into the feed, it, it kind of breaks the spell of the television that people subject themselves to or imbibe or whatever. Um, and it gives them all headaches, uh, which is like the first kind of moment or, or clue that uh, breaking out of this will involve a great deal of pain mm. and suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would say, like too, just going off of your point earlier about embodiment is that the headache thing is it's a kind of nice metaphor for um, something that's going on both cognitively and physically, like the mm. the brain as meat type of thing um that uh, you know uh, ideas don't necessarily give you headaches, right but but um something about like living in a body and um having these you know getting new ideas or being woken up being unsedated um has a kind of physical manifestation in this film that is kind of metaphorical as well for you know the the rude awakening that you get if you are able to kind of see through all the bullshit right
3: well, it's interesting that and I wonder if this is maybe maybe the, that the graduation uh, of that because it's it, it seems like when they're also wearing the sunglasses causes a headache so when right. you take mm-hmm. your take them off you know you're rubbing your eyes but it seems like the headaches stop with the introduction of the contact so you no right. longer have this sort of external prosthetic it's 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 right there and you the the whatever whatever that whatever the headache is representing or whatever barrier that is or whatever pain that is in the realization that's a I mean I guess it's a literal graduation right like you Mm -hmm, go to this mm -hmm, schoolhouse mm -hmm. setting and you turn in your (laughs) you turn in your headache producing sunglasses and graduate to getting the scales put on your eyes
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's it's interesting because the um There's so much, uh, so again, I feel like this is my theme. I apologize for having gotten really stuck in this, in this particular thematic mode, but like, you know, um, so, uh, if we if we think that like the the central idea of the movie is like okay they these this like resistance group has figured out how to make these sunglasses which are the most you know like hilariously like bad 80s sunglasses like you know like wayfarers Wayfarer, but like somehow yeah. But somehow, like larger than that yeah. in a you know your grandpa's
3: uncool way. Wayfarers, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, off-brand Wayfarers. Yeah,
2: they're off-brand Wayfarers. I mean, they're super cheesy looking. Um, and what more '80s thing? I mean, like how many fucking '80s movies like would the poster be like somebody like yeah. pulling down their either you a know either business. a boy or a girl pulling down yeah you what's know, risky business right pulling down their Wayfarers and looking over the top of them right like the you know like the most like iconic like. Um, um, whatever, just like, oh, God, the 80s were really a <laughs> terrible, terrible time. Aww. Oh, my God. Uh, but, um, but you know, so, it, you know, if the, the conceit seems to be, okay, you can put this device on over your eyes, and then you can see things as they actually are,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? You see the truth of the world. Um, and, um, and we can imagine how in that version of the story, like, of course, yeah, of course, like seeing the truth would give you a headache, right? Because it's, you know, it's, oh, it's hard, it's hard or whatever to manage or something like that. Um, But really, the central idea of the movie is nowhere near that simple. It's like nowhere near this simple like, oh, you know, like, just just like get your eyes focused right through the right lenses and you'll see how things actually are. Um, Not just because first, like the lenses that you're wearing are sunglasses, right? Like hilariously, you know, like, not clear, right? In fact, Mm -hmm. completely dark-lensed sunglasses. Um, But also this idea, what we see first, when people are watching the TV and we get the... They keep saying, like, a hacker has broken into the feed. Amazing use of hacker, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. A hacker has broken into the feed, and then they experience the headache. Like, part of what's interesting to me about the headache is... um, So in that moment, they're just having somebody tell them, like, watch out, things aren't what you think, you know. Mm -hmm. They're not actually seeing something different. There's just this message that's being played to them. But a headache, you would think, rather than signing, um, like, oh, you're connecting back into the world, a headache usually, like, makes you feel, like, disconnected from the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like, displaced from it in in a way that makes it harder to process things. And, like, when our, you know, when you have a headache, you, like, want to close your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to see, you don't want to be in the light, like, all of those kinds of things. And that, to me, kind of vibes with, like the Roddy Piper affect of being, like, not entirely present in every scene. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, you know... Uh, And his kind of wanderingness, but also his just, like, sometimes, like, slightly strange, like, affective presentation of detachment. Mm -hmm. And those things together might also, like, complicate the idea um, that this is a movie um, that is in some simple way about a revelation. You think things are like this, but really you're like this. You think you're free, but really you're in the grip of, like, um, this, like, total mind control alien you know um whatever uh alien masters Mm -hmm. right um instead it seems like maybe that opposition is not quite as simple an opposition as you might think hmm Hmm. um that was a conversation stopper yeah (laughs) well
1: so yeah interesting because also one thing that makes it um that I was gonna say sort of I think complicates it too is that if you know, Carpenter is such a weird director. I mean he's a perfect Hollywood director because he is his politics are kind of inscrutable. Mm. So mm-hmm. if you think that this is like there are some critics who say this is like an amazing Marxist text. Some critics who say this is an incredibly reactionary text, right? Um, so that in that regard, it's a perfect Hollywood film. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, if you, you know, the kind of like um, <clears throat> unveiling of ideology, like the 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 seeing through thing, um, it. But then it implies that there's some kind of you know if you if you gain some knowledge you can see through all of this and you become a revolutionary, but um, the portrayal of everyone else in the movie as these kinds of um, you know drones whether you know like that they're so susceptible to this message um, and they they can't actually break out of it unless there's some higher force like guiding them through it or some kind of trick to see through Mm it mm -hmm. um is also kind of like deeply anti-populist in a certain Mm -hmm. way like that these people uh who are uh hypnotized and transfixed by the television there's something in them that like craves that 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 Mm -hmm. uh, that wants that um and that you know that's that is kind of underscored by the fight by the fact that like it takes. It's so bizarre that it takes this enormous, crazy fight for him to get <laughs> Frank to simply put on these sunglasses because there's a way in which Frank must already know what he's about to see if he doesn't want to be woken up from this mm. dream right, right. that mm-hmm. badly, um, and so therefore he's like a willing subject of this, um, you know, enforced hallucination. Um.
2: So I, I was just. I was just thinking, so I think that that's. Um, I mean, I think that this point about like the films, you know, the possibility of of reading this film multiple ways, and that that being on Hollywood terms, like you know, that's like a feature that's like a thing mm-hmm. you want, right? Um, that's it, that's really interesting, and um, this kind of you know this thought about like a stream in the film that has some. That maybe makes some kind of like um, non overt claim about um, you know being like strong enough or having enough of a will to resist or something mm. something like that. I think that that seems really interesting. And I was thinking it maybe it's worth. I mean, and I think we should talk about ideology because I mean I think the the most you know I, I mean this is like almost a film that seems to be making a bid for if you cared about such things for you to read it in as like an illustration of an image of an idea about ideology. And I think we should talk about that. But I was thinking Mm -hmm. maybe like, um, I would be very interested to hear how you both thought about, um, like the kind of, uh, both the mechanics of the sunglasses, um, I feel I feel that I have already contributed acclaimed the mechanics of the sunglasses <laughs> which is that they are very, very 80s. And I think that that's very, I mean, obviously that seems like really deliberate. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh, The mechanics of the sunglasses and then like what the world looks like when you put the sunglasses on. Mm -hmm. um, Because I think that that's, this is like just like the most famous feature of this film. And I think that that like, um, like what we see through the sunglasses and what it looks like. um, I don't know, that seems really important to me. And I'm curious what you both think thought about that and it seems like if we think about that that might lead us back into thinking about the way that the movie does or doesn't want you to think about ideology
3: too
1: bill do you have anything it
3: immediately called to uh, yeah it immediately i I don't know we'll see how useful this is but it immediately (laughs) called to mind for me uh the only other prominent movie that i can think of where we've got that black and white to color switch which is the wizard of oz and so when we're when we're when we're going to Kansas, color in they live. I was very curious. Yeah, I guess it was a similar thing. What are we to make of that? If the it is it, is the truth, then that uh, this is this sort of like washed out uh, grayscale existence. That that's what that's what we can look forward to in our moment of freedom. I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the escape is. Mm. I understand, and mm. I think with the. But the idea of the sunglasses, you know, giving you your... um yeah i i I, this this always mediated view of a world but with the film never actually suggests i think to us what the what what an unmediated version would be it's certainly not the it's certainly not the in Mm -hmm. color world because that's a lie and it's certainly not the uh mediated Mm -hmm. clarity of the sunglasses or the contacts and i'm not sure where i'm not yeah Mm -hmm. i'm not sure where that is um
1: Yeah, so the sunglasses, um, you know, the fact that they're sunglasses and that they, uh, you know, that they limit, you know, as sunglasses, they filter out some part of the visible spectrum, whether they're, you know, magic sunglasses or whether they're regular sunglasses. That um, is provocative to me as a kind of unveiling of ideology because you know, that there's so much crap. There, there's just this suffusion of stuff in the world and it's really hard. And that's part of how kind of like just capitalist culture operates too is just enormous amounts of distraction to, um, you know, keep you entertained, like bread and circuses essentially. So that there's some like sense of like being able to filter out the, the excess to see what the quote unquote truth is, right? Um, feels like a really like apt... Uh, metaphor, and the fact that it 's somehow in black and white this kind of like yeah going back to Kansas or something, you know is that the real well obviously it 's not the the real um, because that's that's not that 's not how like light works or whatever what 's interesting about that moment too, and this is kind of a almost a sidebar which i 'll f- uh, probably forget the main bar that I was uh, going off of but <laughs> When we cut to the black and white image, it's very clearly, you know, not a realistic perspective from what yeah. Rowdy Rowdy Piper could be looking at. Like, yeah. it's a different camera perspective, like, especially when it's the whole town, you know, but even like when it's, you're just looking at individuals, suddenly we're on a soundstage. We're definitely not on location anymore in Los Angeles. Um uh Suddenly we're seeing um, scale models and um, uh, um, graphics and other things that that are not like uh, the kind of quasi- neo-realist um, cinematography that we're that we're mm-hmm. accustomed to seeing mm-hmm. when we're when we're in the color in the color world. Um, so that's really significant too yeah. that it's the most Hollywood it is or the most artificial it is when we're supposed to be seeing, you know what what we're really supposed to be seeing um uh in okay so what was the other thing I'll stop talking for a minute and think of something else to say.
3: I'm going to jump in just to say it's interesting too, that like I, I love the color, that that color and the design of the makeup, which you really can't appreciate when you are, when it's revealed to you, mm-hmm. you get the, uh, in the, in the great, in the Kansas mode, I guess not until the, is it not until the end the that you actually see yeah. it in all its, yeah. In all its glory? Yeah. Um, and i think so, especially having been used to the the box art and poster art of it before i think i ever saw the movie it's it, it's interesting about what's kept from you in that such a such a beautiful such a beautiful horrible horrible uh, uh picture that that you don't get to appreciate for most of the film so
1: what's also interesting about the um what we see when we see through the glasses is that we don't know what the ghouls see, like naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, do the ghouls see big billboards that say obey? Do Mm -hmm. they see money that says this is your god on it? And if they do, why are they participating in the economy? (laughs) Like, it's very strange, (laughs) like, Lethem actually brings up this point in his book, which is interesting, is like, okay, so they've colonized Earth, and they've colonized Earth in order to be investment bankers? and um talk show hosts and politicians like that seems like a really weird thing to want to be like if they're if their goal is to like extract all of our natural resources or suck our brains or whatever it is that they're doing why do they take such shitty jobs <laughs> like what yeah, right. like what is their what is their ideology that makes this their like ideal life if they're these all powerful beings from alpha centauri or wherever they're from
2: i mean i sort of read it as yeah i think that that's that's a really good and super weird question like why would they have so why would they have you know integrated themselves into normal life (laughs) yeah (laughs) there just doesn't seem to be any point why would they not just like be pulling the strings like oh
1: at the grocery yes. store, they're arguing about. They're complaining about somebody liking blue corn tortilla chips.
2: Like, yes, that right. seems yes. like the
1: biggest hell that so I could ever tacky. imagine. I would so much rather live in a shanty town than like. I mean, well, you've also so...
3: got to go to these banquets with all these folks. <laughs> you've got to get oh, dressed up and sit in banquet tables and be served mediocre fish as a. And talk as about, a yeah, and talking about an return, on, return
1: on investment and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know the way it
2: yeah, and part of what part so part of what's weird and hard about this is like okay, it's not a parallel world. Mm. It's all the same world. Mm-hmm. It's just that we from the human position don't see certain things that are going on. Um, in the world that we live in in fact we don't see I guess like you know what's supposed to be it's kind of like deepest structures which are essentially like mind mind control like mm-hmm. you know the like repeated injunction to obey and worship the dollar and et cetera, et cetera right and mm-hmm. you know stay, stay sleepy or whatever it is mm-hmm. so I mean one you know one thing to think about the the alien's could be i don't know why i'm trying to solve this particular problem right now but one thing to think about the aliens could be that this is not um this is not really a settler colonial project but it (laughs) is a project that requires in other words like they don't want the planet Mm -hmm. like i mean i this is i this seems to be a you know like so one version of the word being controlled by aliens um, is just like they're up there and they're pulling the strings, right? right? I mean, you know, I feel like that's a like that's a Philip K. Dick novel, right? In a mm-hmm. ter- terrible, sorry, reductive summary of it, um, you know. Um, And for their own enjoyment, for their own ends, like, whatever. Maybe we can't even comprehend, like, why they're doing it, right? Um, And, but that doesn't involve, like, coming and living among us, and as you say, like, doing boring jobs. It's not even, like, they are, like, you know, the 1%. Some of them seem to be like, you know, just like basically like petty bourgeois people. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well even Which our drifter somehow graduates to their to their ranks.
1: <laughs> well there are sort of human collaborators, right? So Holly is And a they're human, human collaborators. Collaborator. Right. And Drifter right. is a human collaborator. Drifter is. Um, and um there and there's a cop who's a human collaborator too, who's a guy who just wants to be a cop, evidently. Yes, because yeah. Because like well, the, I mean, two of the cops like that cops. Attack, yeah, like all cops.
2: Um <laughs> All cops are collaborators. Yeah. But but so like but so there's there's a kind of a possibility that like whatever the alien plan is, it requires like foot soldiers. And the people who are on the planet mm-hmm. are basically who are on Earth like uh deceiving us all and having to live out their lives as eye bankers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um are, are here essentially as foot soldiers to, for whatever like sort of like uh, labor power extractive enterprise they're here mm-hmm. on, you know. Um, it, it's much weirder if you think that their goal was just to like live among humans but in slightly better positions than humans live in. Right. Like like mm-hmm. to be with us but just to do like a little bit better than the rest of
3: us. What kind Although of shit world are you- they
2: well, I mean, that might tell you more about ideology than the idea that, like, you can, like, put on a pair of fancy sunglasses and you can see how things really are, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, that you might actually sign on for, like, to think it was, like, a good life to just, like, do somewhat better than the people around you.
1: I mean, that sounds like what capitalist ideology is all about for most of the really people. It does really sound like it, doesn't like, it? Like, yep. just for the all the, you know, jet ski ownership ownership dealers, dealership owners. Yeah, um, exactly. And, the beautiful and, you know, boaters. Yeah, the beautiful boaters. <laughs> voters are beautiful voters and uh yeah 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 i mean just you know just to be just to own a slightly bigger house uh ugly house and uh, then um <laughs> then uh or yeah then the next guy right um yeah and you're going to yeah. sell out everyone else and just uh, be a hyper competitive uh uh you know ugly soul for for all of that um
2: But then that also makes it you know like that suspicion that there's something that's like awfully mundane about like this alien invasion the invasion of the ghouls um uh um that then i think sits kind of oddly with the way that like when we see the world through the sunglasses the way the world works matt as you were pointing out that it actually our attention is drawn um in those moments is drawn to artificiality, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and whatever, however much we may have, you know, perce- if, if we've perceived the rest of the movie as being naturalistic, which I think it pushes, you know, like there's a bunch of like sort of ways in which it kind of like pushes on you not to keep, Mistaking it for totally naturalistic, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, I did not mean but, to suggest that. No, it's no, no no, 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 no. I wasn't so, saying you were saying yeah. that, but I think you could, you could like, you know, you could see the contrast as like, oh, this is what we think things look like, but what it really looks like is this highly artificial, extremely stylized, and also like very like retro looking, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like yeah. this is where like the, the
1: resonance with the fifties like really like explodes. Ex- exactly,
2: exactly. Um, and you know, I think the kind of um, you know, the one one thing we might think that is kind of obvious about, like, choosing that, like, artificial and that very sort of, like, 50s look to the the scenes that you see through the sunglasses is, you know, just really precisely because of, like you know, that element of Reaganism that was about, like, Mm -hmm. you know, nostalgia for the 50s, right? And the idea of, like, you know, the 80s as, like, the 50s redux, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That it was sort of Reagan promulgated and the kind of, like, you know, whatever. Just, like, I mean, even the Wayfarers themselves, right, are, like, a a little bit of a callback there. Um, But it's also really weird to think that, like, you see the truth and the truth is, like, high the truth is that the world is actually highly artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and as you said, like also colorless, um, That it, that is the truth is not something that you can perceive like with your regular human eyes at all, at least at first. Right. And then like, I think feel like Bill's point earlier was that though, as the movie goes on, we just like get closer and closer to a kind of like, Um, Oh, well, you can actually just like see the truth. And it is basically just that like some people who you think are people are actually like aliens.
1: And also like the drifter guy, when he pops up too, he kind of explains it as well from his perspective, like when they're at the board meeting or whatever it is, he explains it from their perspective is like, hey, we sell out every day, why not be on the winning team? right um, right you know why not opt for a, a life of 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 comfort and luxury um if you know cuz they're all powerful anyway what's the point of you know you can not what's the point of fighting them essentially um
3: his, his sort of uh, <clears throat> Joe Pantoliano scene there is- a, <laughs> From The Matrix, yeah. From The Matrix is great, but the tour that he gives them around that facility and it's sort of uh, magical infrastructure was, I, I, th- that to me was, I, I was fascinated by that this time, partially because of this transportational aspect and I, part mm-hmm. of it is just like working out the, trying to work out the system of the world, but in its allegorical mode, what what job does that transport to that mysterious planet fulfill? Like, are, in some way, I wondered. Like, is this just the commuter line? Like, are right. they just yeah. jumping on yeah. on the subway and heading back home here?
1: Yeah, that was very weird. Uh, I love how like the guy, the drifter, explains is like some kind of gravitational lens deal. I don't know. <laughs> It's kinda of like it's kinda of like saying, you know, you've seen movies before. This is kind yeah, of how exactly. that
2: works. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and also it's such a I feel like that that part of the movie is so um is like just like very cognitively confusing because I feel like so you've gotten used to the like Um, we can't see them, but we're all, they're all around us. And when Mm -hmm. we look through the lenses, like we see that the world is not the thing that we see when we're not looking through the lenses. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then in that sequence of the movie, it's like, Oh, but also there is like a hidden part of the world that you don't see at all. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but that you could go, you could go to. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you see what I'm saying here? It's like, it's like, it's not just, you don't need to have the sunglasses on. There's also like this like weird oh, yes, underground right. structure that leads to like a spaceport or, some, right. <laughs> or something like that, that you don't see at all. Yeah,
3: Which under- like their jobs is not very nice. It's grungy. It's, oh, uh, yeah. This is not part of some kind of like highly elevated, technologically advanced uh, 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 system that's using all these resources to make life nice for them. It's all uh, underneath the sports stadium. <laughs> yeah, it's just a exactly. Regular, exactly. Yeah.
2: And the banquet looks terrible too. Just oh, of
3: course. Those are <laughs> the <worst. laughs> they always do. You know what's
1: so impressive, like going back a little bit though, is when he first so uh, the scene where he puts on the sunglasses is one of the great scenes in film history. I mean, it is just like such a masterfully shot and like edited together scene. It's just wonderful. But right after that, he goes into this store. He insults everybody. Blah blah blah. He,
3: this is where the
0: misogyny <laughs>
1: <Randomly>. <laughs> The misogyny really kicks in here. Formaldehyde You're face. You're so ugly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Real yeah. fucking ugly. You know, you look like you fell in the cheese dip in 1957. These zingers, um, and then weird zingers start- too. Like yeah.
2: I don't even know what that would look like. Yeah.
3: I remember reading somewhere that uh, John Carpenter said that Roddy Piper would carry a little notebook around with him where he would write his heel lines oh, that's uh, good. from his wrestling days. So yeah. a lot of these are heel lines out of Roddy's notebook.
1: That's awesome. That's so good. And
3: Carpenter was like, Yeah, great, let's yeah, let's throw it in throw it there. Those. I got I got that. another one, John. Yeah, that's yeah. that's stellar.
1: You need a Brazilian plastic surgeon.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> got it. Um, but then like, once they find out, like, you know, I've got one that can see, and then they, you know, cops come after him. He fucking kills two cops, which is like crazy oh to
0: God, think yes. about. Yeah. yeah. You
3: know, on the sidewalk, uh, on the sidewalk,
2: we're, on the
1: sidewalk we're, oh, right there, like, we're fully in the 1980s, right? <laughs> like this is like the big, but like the big action movie, like Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like high body count action movie, like genre, mm-hmm. but thinking about this think about that in 1988 from like this perspective of 2020 to see like just this drifter, like kill two cops. Uh, it was like, like, I can't remember a recent film where I've just seen like two, these are just two, you know, obviously they're ghouls, but they are patrolmen. Um, outside of like even the John Wick movies, he's not really necessarily killing cops. He's killing like whoever's trying to kill him, but Mm -hmm. this is just like wanton (laughs) Like cold blooded, like blows two cops away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it was like so um <laughs> it was striking. It was awesome.
2: I agree. And I think that I mean so something we haven't talked about is that the 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 shantytown um Justiceville, is that what you said yeah, it was called? Justiceville. Uh you know, gets destroyed when, so, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, it goes without saying that of course the cops are collaborators with the alien ghouls. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when they, or they're just cops, right. Exactly. There's no, there's no, there's really no need. It it is a true goes without saying. Um, and so, um, when they make the raid on the church, um, to try to like, you know, bust bust up the resistance, basically. They also bulldoze, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh they also bulldoze down the shantytown with with bulldozers, right? Like, yeah. I mean, straight mm-hmm. up like, you know, Israeli tactics, um, mm-hmm. right? Like, and you see very that again, that's a scene. I mean, the the viol- the police violence in that scene It's
0: amazing. Um, is yeah
2: it's amazing, and it is extremely explicit. I mean, yeah. not only the yes. not only the use of the bulldozers, but that you see um, them deliberately uh, crushing, uh, like. All of these different kinds of housing structures that people mm-hmm. have built. You mm-hmm. see, like, the people displaced and running in terror, you know, mm-hmm. and not just the sort of like cliched, like, child, you know, like trying to grab its stuffed animal or whatever it is, like, you know, this whole kind of like array of people. You see the cops beating the shit out of the blind preacher. Yeah. Um, who is also a old, black yeah. man. Right. Right. Um, and this, um, as, is, as is Frank, right, there's a kind of, like, there's, like, a weird interest in and, like, uncertainty about maybe what to do with, like, race here. But yeah. clearly, like, race matters as well. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, we really see that the poor um, and the dispossessed are, like, you know, multiracial, multiethnic. Um, but the, the police violence is... I mean, and I I wonder like in the, um, you know, I I don't know, like what does that look like in the 80s, but certainly like in this moment right now, it actually feels like extremely realistic and very Mm -hmm. much, I mean, feels realistic because it just is realistic and very Mm -hmm. sort of on the nose, um, which is a really kind of fascinating way to like, um, it might make you think then I mean and then and then yeah like and then when he blows those cops away and all of that is also like then he like runs he runs like three blocks and then, yeah. and then he's managed to get away from them <laughs> <laughs> I mean and then the chase lasts longer than that but there is a funny way in which it's like I don't think we even hear do we hear sirens there's, you know? siren, there's sirens <laughs> and
1: there's also this moment when he looks up in the sky and he sees this like little probe this flying saucer. Thing, yeah or, flying saucer. or right in the probe
2: yeah which he, he shoots he,
1: uh he shoots, he says, uh, you know, Mama don't like t- tattletales or, or no, he says like <laughs> hey little fella or something.
3: Um,
2: um
1: uh, but, but you but know the, Yeah, he, oh. he he go go ahead, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say, like, you know, I, I actually think so this is not um uh y- I actually think it's worth sort of, like, asking this question or, you know, that a a question is implicitly posed then, which is that, like, if in fact – if you can see um, power relations, right, and if you can see that, like, the forces of the state are in alignment with the forces of capital, Mm -hmm. um, just because what they're doing is they're, like, you know, bringing in bulldozers to – to mow down, like, a place where people are living and they're, like, you know, beating old men on the street. Like, if you can see that, like, you know, what what does a sort of, like, theory of ideology or an idea about ideology, like, kind of, like, add, right? I mean, and this is Whoa. not because... I'm That's I'm awesome. saying this not because I'm, like, skeptical about the importance of thinking about ideology or asking questions right. about ideology, but I think there's a way in which, you know, the film... In an account of the movie that says that this is a movie that is about ideology, right. um, you know, like, um, and the, the sort of point is like the revelatory moment, which, you know, like, it, it, I mean, and absolutely, this is like one of the things that's going on in the movie. It might be worth like wondering why that seems to be the centerpiece of the film, as opposed to a different sort of relationship to um state violence and the degree to which the state's monopoly on violence is like, you know, um there to support and protect um capital, right? Mm. Um and because we get that like right at the beginning and it is like kind of it is kind of shocking, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird way in which the sort of central section of the film which is the like, you know, on and off with the sunglasses seeing the world like, you know, um that central section of the movie is bookended by the, destruct- the police destruction of the shantytown and then the fistfight sequence, right, right? right, you know, mm-hmm. which, um, which I don't have like a read on how to fit that together, but you know, there's something interesting there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a way in which, yeah, the, the so the, the sunglasses sequence happens during the day and the mm. bulldozer sequence happens mm-hmm. at night, mm-hmm. and there's something significant about that. I think, like under cover of darkness, they do they do the thing that's you know really you know uh, violent, really like genuine, like the definition of violence. Um, whereas during the day, it, you know, in broad daylight or whatever, all of this other stuff is going on on the surface that you can you know mm. that you can see with the sunglasses. But, you know, what does he see if he were to look at the bulldozer with the sunglasses? I mean, you would think they would just see a bulldozer, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> running people over and, like, cops mm-hmm, beating the shit mm-hmm. out of, like, old men, right? So, yeah, that's a good point. Like, what you know, what what more do you need as a subject of ideology to make you see through ideology, right? Like, you can see it in, in life, you know, in the operation of the state right before your eyes. Like how much less obfuscated does it have to be for you to like get what's going on?
3: I wonder if part of that there is, is suggesting something like, uh, so I think one read of the movie is that the police and the bulldozers and all these other state apparatuses are controlled by, that are, are controlled by our ghouls. But it also seems like it could be the case that, uh, that in, in, it, it, that is that is a medium in which, the, the it, it, there's an already existing medium in right. which the ghouls f- can can operate. Um, right, right. That mm-hmm. there is this sort of like the banality of oppressive state structures mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes this a petri dish that they can cultivate.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes me think of the exchange between the ghoul businessman and the man businessman in the grocery store where the guy is, like, neurotic and depressed. He's like,
0: oh, man, I really hope I get that promotion. I just don't know what I'll do if I don't get
1: it. And then the ghoul is like, hey, man, go for it. (laughs) Like, that's his big – that's the big spell he's casting over the guy. It's like – you got to reach out and grab it, pal. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wow.
0: While um, he's
3: reaching out and grabbing a box of whatever it is. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Grab um, your future like these cornflakes, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's already this kind of primal insecurity in the guy, in, in the in the man businessman that the ghoul businessman just kind of capitalizes off, off of or whatever. Um, the, yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah, I was just thinking, like, yeah, because, you know, like, in some ways, it seems like, well, what are the, so, like, um, so what are the, what are the ghouls, uh, like, what is it that they're selling? Well, in some ways, like, at that moment, or maybe, maybe even in the idea of, like, they, like, come in the guise of these, like, you know, glamorous ladies on the TV, like there that you know some of what they're selling is is just like you know cruel optimism is like Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. uh you can be richer you can be uh you can be prettier you can have a good life even though like clearly you can't um but then that's like pretty different than the sort of um the like you know total submission um the demand for total submission that is issued by like the the texts that we see in the black and white sequences, right. you know, obey, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Oh, re-
0: mm-hmm.
2: be, be fertile and reproduce.
1: Consume. Reproduce Marry and get reproduce. married. Marry, Marry and, and reproduce. reproduce. Marry and, um, yeah, yeah. This is your God is the, is on the money, which is awesome. Yeah. Um Yeah. Marion
3: reproduces one of the I guess Obey was also, but Marion reproduces one of the carryovers from the short story from nineteen sixty three. Oh, okay. Both both Obey and Marion reproduce.
1: Okay. Um so the then the yeah, that the, the book end the scene that that other scene, the fight scene, um, we've already talked about a little bit, uh where Nada has to force Frank to put the glasses on, <laughs> uh, which is an insane... By having a fist fight. <laughs> it's more than a fist fight. It's a wrestling match. It is it's like full-on professional oh, yeah. wrestling. Evidently, they rehearsed for three weeks uh, on that scene, which is very believable because it's very conceivable that they could really get hurt, like especially Keith David uh, could really get hurt in because the... there's just this uh, orgy of suplexes, essentially, is what's going on. Like, they're just...
2: <laughs> <laughs> the grappling.
1: The, the we should
2: make that movie. <laughs> orgy of suplexes. <laughs> Suplex orgy.
3: I- I watched the uh, I watched the eight minute making of They Live video, and two things that stood out were, of course, Roddy Piper in the interview scenes is shirtless in each and every one, <laughs> uh, shirt, shirtless, sort of like leaning back, and with that, uh, I- if your body is shaped like mine, which is perhaps like much more like a wrestler of the '80s than a wrestler of today, lots of like <laughs> belly wrinkles while he's sitting there with right. his shirt tied around his waist, but also the the most captivating moment of the making of video is the clip where it starts they're they're showing the choreography of the fight scene and the 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 shot they're about to start begins with with a ladder right in the background that has clearly been used to set the scene up roddy piper holding keith david upside down right before john carpenter yells cut
0: Truly, I'm gonna have to watch
2: that.
1: See if I have it on my disc, on my Blu-ray.
2: It is such an amazing scene for many reasons, but as I sort of like, um, uh, incoherently texted to Matt when I was watching the movie, like part of what is weird about it is it lasts for a really long time and and there is a way in which at that point in the movie like the sense of like forward narrative motion has been lost a little bit Mm. (laughs) um you know and definitely like the length of that fight scene contributes to the feeling that like we're not we're no longer in a sort of um we're no longer in the kind of story that works by like forward momentum, you know, mm. um, and yet, you know, and yeah, exactly. And also, the fight seems to end multiple t-
0: multiple yeah, times. Right.
2: You know, <laughs> it has multiple false ends.
0: Well, also the movie, the
1: the length of the fight scene too, just kind of you know, breaks this incredible spell that the movie has already been giving you of like, Oh, this isn't, this is actually kind of a thoughtful science fiction film, right? It's kind Uh, of an interesting metaphor for what ideology is. And it's, Oh my God, this raw realism of the bulldozing, the campsite and the, and the police brutality. And my goodness. And then this insane, you know, the longest fight, you know, famously the longest fight scene in Hollywood history. Um, that you know uh that um that that just completely uh, takes it off the rails and is one of the re- big reasons why so many people like dismiss this film in general as just like you know schlock or not a good movie or bad or whatever it's like that fight scene goes on and on and on um and it's like yes it does and um it is actually difficult to kind of come up with a with a reason for it to go on that that long um for all like the reasons that we've that we've said um
3: it's a little bit like the interlude moment in the middle of 2010
1: 2010
3: uh sorry 2001 where you get the i couldn't
1: remember the interlude in 2000 sorry
3: where you get that that sort of symphonic orchestral intermediate bit that's our that's our intermission moment we just get a a symphony of, of of material interaction
1: yeah, this is what you. Can and it's not just
3: see. crashing into each other; it's crashing mm-hmm. into the dumpster and the walls mm-hmm. and the cars and the, car. the litter that's in an alley.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. And it's—I mean, it really—I uh, I don't know. It—it it makes it actually like uh, it. It's another place where. Um, I, I think the the movie just like kind of pushes back against your desire to make it into an allegory, whether you make it into like, a you know, this kind of like reactionary allegory, or you make it into a kind of like leftist allegory, like something about that scene and like just this kind of like return to like, it's like, it's like really just like two dudes like um just like kind of slugging each other and doing wrestling moves but like it but it's not totally like wrestling either because there's a lot of you know there's like more of the kind of like um there's more punching <laughs> too you know like you don't watch enough wrestling um, hillary i it's true I don't watch enough wrestling um and unfortunately that's never going to be able to be remedied in my life <laughs>
1: One, well, yes, you're right. One can never watch enough wrestling.
2: One can never watch enough wrestling. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's like uh, the um, so it really like it. It's not just that it like stops the the sort of like motion forward motion of the movie in a way. It also stops your sense that you know that, like, you're, you're on a good track of, like, making this meaningful in a very particular kind of way. I think it makes it much harder to then, if you take that moment seriously, if you think Here of it, if you're voice. like, oh. oh. Bill, this, could you hear
3: robot voice? There. I can. I could hear. Yes, I, I do hear robot voice when it crops up on the pod. No, but can,
1: can, you, can hear you hear it, it now? now?
3: I surely can.
1: Okay. So it's not just me. All right. You guys talk.
0: Well, Hillary, I must disagree with you on this, because I feel exactly the opposite that what you are saying is, no, because the point is, of course, what I find compelling about this allegory is that it is exactly that ideology is comfortable. It is what we want to see. And we have this idea, okay, yes, you are wearing ideological glasses and if you learn the right codes you can take them off and you see the truth. No, this is not how ideology works. It is quite mm. the opposite. It is actually, you must build the glasses and put them on. It is, you must put them on. Liberation, <laughs> liberation halts. We must resist <laughs> liberation, and therefore we must resist the resistance.
3: Mm-hmm, you must mm-hmm. be
0: forced to put your glasses on. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. This, is so I,
0: this is what I. <laughs> this This is what I feel so <laughs> compelling about this, this film. This film. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I forgot to say, uh, we have another special guest with us today. Yes, it's me, Slavoj Žižek. I'm here, everybody. Professor Slavoj Žižek. I just need some Kleenex and maybe some (laughs) cocaine.
2: Slavoj Žižek, author of many books in... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a very famous argument about They Live as offering much. us the key to understanding ideology.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. Big fan. Long time fan of the podcast. I especially uh, love Matt. He's my favorite one of the two. Everything he says is so smart. Again, so much from listening to Matt. Oh,
2: Professor Zizek. <laughs> okay. That's great. That was really great that I've he was able to, to drop
3: in. That's exciting. I can't yeah. believe I got to be here for that. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> the world's moistest philosopher.
2: Um, yeah, right, right. You know, like, um, the idea, yeah, whatever. I, I mean, I don't really buy Zizek's reading of the movie. I can say uh-huh. that now that he's not here anymore. Yeah, he's gone. Uh.
1: <laughs> he ran out of moisture. He's completely dehydrated. Uh, oh God. But so, you, you, so you think his reading of the movie is too simple. But I think it's, I think it's a simple movie that deserves a simple reading.
2: Uh, I don't know how to respond to that, but I do think that um, uh, it's not that, I mean, I actually just kind of wonder about, like, the account that Zizek gives of what ideology is, Uh you know, Um, and, and I guess I think, you know, I always want to sort of, like, just push back on, like, I mean so one version of what ideology is is like seems like it's pretty simple it's like the ways in which um you know certain kinds of ideas like get disseminated such that they come to seem just like a sort of common sense for us and it becomes quite hard to push back on them right mm-hmm. um uh and you know and i think that that's like really important to to think about um uh, but often it seems like you can then ca- you can counter that by like you know just like learning something right or knowing more or like you know mm-hmm. knowing knowing better right mm-hmm. therefore seeing the truth and that right. kind of version of ideology is like really allied with that sort of like the metaphor of like pull the veil away right, right? right. or like whether you think it takes an app or, mm-hmm. I mean it seems like mm-hmm. in in the point that Zizek was just making in his visit here <laughs> was that it's not that you can take the sunglasses off and see things as you really are, but that it requires yeah. a kind of apparatus, right. right, to see things as they really are.
0: Right.
2: Um, you know, uh, it requ- it requires, like, you know, through the right lens, you can see it, but mm-hmm. without that lens, you can't. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting to think about the ways in which, like, you know, to to, to push a little bit. I mean, this is obviously, like, my sort of... Investment, at least minor investment in a in a more like altazurian yeah, account yeah. of ideology, but to but to think about the way in which ideology like might inhere more like in in the places of the unthought, in like the sort mm-hmm. of like behaviors, uh the things that we just do without ever interrogating them, that don't rise to the level of ideas at all, ever. Yeah, which is which is to me why it's interesting to think about like that it becomes possible, like, um, to get very caught up in something like, and I, I actually do think that this, this to me is kind of an important, like, at least quasi-political point that you could potentially use the movie to think about, although, I don't know, it's not like a reading of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm not smarter than Zizek. I'll just, I'll lay that out there. But, <laughs> um, uh, but you know, like, it is actually quite interesting to think that um, uh, we can get, like, taken up by questions about, like, you know, mediation um, and, you know, the media Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, the sort of, like, um, uh, uh, and, and sort of, like, see in that, like, the place where we need to, like, do a kind of, like, ideological analysis to, like, see what's really going on um and then not look at actually um you know the ways in which like certain material relations like get perpetuated actually really just like outside of the sphere of like mm. the media say right, right which is why it's interesting in this movie to both have the like the destruction of um of their encampment right by the police and to be able to like put that out of your mind and be like well that's not the real story Mm. um which that does to me seem Mm -hmm. like a little bit of an ideological effect one Mm -hmm. one that i think that you know like um at least for i mean i think this is relevant to think about now because i think i think that there is some case to be made of like at least certain aspects of the left um you know understood quite broadly As having been very much in the grip of or focused on sort of like the realm, you know, like the realm of like, uh, let's say, like commodification and mediatization, right, Mm -hmm. as opposed to something like um, police violence. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's also interesting to have them fighting too, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. have this just like, this like, crazy, like, bare knuckle, like, you know, also... You know, weird sort of like courtship, also like interracial relationship, also just like crazy performance, also like it looks like it really probably hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just this like kind of return to like, um, you know, just like uh, this very kind of like material condition of like having a having a body, a a shirtless body that is fighting (laughs) with another shirtless body.
1: Um, there's, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the final 20 minutes or so, um, that Bill only now just remembers, um, that come after all of this stuff in a, in a, in a big way kind of does feel like a kind almost an afterthought, like the big point of the film is already like just the seeing that this is, that this is what's happening, but a couple of interesting things happen in it, like when they when Frank and Nada go into the headquarters, this base um, where the kind of refugees from the refugee camp are like setting up and they're getting uh, guns ready and they're getting their um, contact lenses. Um, the kind of leader, the one who's left, um, tells them that like, um, kind of how it works, you know, like oh they're they're here to you know. or or they're you know they're um uh the creatures are trading wealth wealth for power or something like wealth and power for us to sell out and then he tells them too that like the earth is being acclimatized they're Mm. turning our atmosphere into their atmosphere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there's like a almost a weird, like, there's a climate change kind mm-hmm. of, like, yeah. discourse there. Mm-hmm. And it also does seem like that, it, like, lends itself to a kind of settler-colonial, like, making yeah, yeah. as yeah. well, which is interesting. And then he also, but then he also says, we're their third world. They're a, we're a natural resource, like, literally third world. We're their third world. We're a natural resource. We could be pets or food, but we're livestock. Which I guess that, me what he means by that is, like, we're doing the labor of destroying the atmosphere so that it's like safe for them Mm. to live here or something Mm -hmm. like that. But again, that's a thing that's like happens in like 20 seconds. It's Mm -hmm. not belabored. It's not the message. The message of the film is not like, Hey, we have to like fix climate change or something like that. Right. Um, That's just completely skipped over because Roddy Piper's like, Hey, can we go blow something up please? And Oh, by the way, there's a cute girl over there. I'm trying to like, get her phone number or something because then that's when holly shows up in the resistance right so there's also that kind of like uh like no that's we're gonna keep this being an action movie it's not we don't want it to be too much of a political statement and also like uh when like the woman shows up um who i yeah like she's really interesting to the, mm-hmm. the woman who plays holly um Uh, When she shows up, like, that's another kind of instance for the film, for, like, Nada to be distracted and kind of, like, again, hypnotized, this time just by, like, a man, like, a man sees a woman and says, like, pretty lady, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then the cops invade that space as well and, like, blow everybody away and kill everybody.
2: Yeah, I was gonna, I, I meant to ask you guys before we started recording, and then I forgot... I had I remembered that at some point someone says something about climate change and I couldn't remember where that happened in yeah. the movie. Yeah, that's such a, it's such a crazy. Um, even the idea that like, uh, like that we're livestock, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is actually a,
0: uh-huh.
2: it's actually so is that. Because I feel like usually you say like oh we're like livestock to them, meaning like they're gonna eat us, right? You know, so if if we want to read right. it as I, like it's about labor power, it does, it works in a I don't know, it works in a weird way to say livestock also. Because he
1: says that we're he doesn't say we're food, he says we're lives.
2: He says we're <laughs> yeah, not food, yeah. we're, we're livestock. But like what? Yeah. Yeah.
3: But I think you don't, I mean, I don't think you think of livestock as working animals. Like, I think you're, right. you're say, like, your 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 ox that pulls the plow is a different kind of, is in a different kind of category than the cow that's in the pasture right. they're going to milk mm. or milk and slaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh and I had, it, in that moment, I had this sort of, like, Eloy Morlock's vision, like, aha, yeah, right, yeah, you know, yeah, they're going yeah. to, they, mm-hmm. the, they are these, like, fat cattle. And I'm not convinced that's not, it i don't which is not to disagree with your your read of it being part of the labor force but i think part of the movies sort of scattered or <clears throat> from our position that we cannot build a comprehensive or coherent view of the ghoul's plan or agenda that it seems yeah i, I it, especially with roddy piper being our prize cow like i buy this as a as a as a kind as, as a livestock in the much more familiar uh read of it
1: yeah yeah, um, I
2: yeah. mean, that's kind of interesting because I, I feel like there's often the sort of, um, you know, there's a certain science fictional conceit about, like, uh, in a certain kind of alien contact narrative that, like, fun, like fundamentally we're unable to understand them, right? You know, um, sometimes that's because, like, you know, they have a kind of intelligence that we can't grapple with Um uh, you know, like, the, the, like, really smart and kind of amazing version of this would be in something like Solaris, where, um, you know, it, it, part, 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 of, part of what the alien is there to let us think about is the unintelligibility of, of some kind of other mind, right? Or this kind of, like, radical otherness that you can't possibly sort of... Um, understand.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
2: and that would be, and then, you know, there could be a version of this movie in which like, well, humans in their attempts to resist are just like kind of groping after the right sort of explanation for what they want, but really like that's not, it's not something that can be sort of like put into words that we could understand. But but here I don't I, I think, you know, I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's like we're left with a kind of like unexplained partly for that sort of like um uh, you know, a political or ideological capaciousness that Matt, that you were talking about earlier so that we can fill in like what we mm-hmm. think like the real motivation would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but partly because there, I mean, there isn't the film. I mean, it seems to me that the film is also like quite interested in and sort of like, um, has a like delight in a certain level of absurdity, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and like it's the absurd in some ways. Like just like the way that the ghoul aliens look is like yeah. so ridiculous. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: They're all wearing wigs. They all have They're like very clearly wigs. wigs. <laughs>
2: um a big big bulgy eyes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's part
1: of the it's part of just Carpenter's love for Hollywood movies and like cheesy schlocky like 50s horror movies like yeah yeah. you know the master of horror that's definitely uh part of it because like yeah the film is still a hollywood film it's still there to like you know entertain um so that like it can't be uh you know it's not gonna be like a um what costa gravas film which are still very (laughs) very entertaining i would i would claim um yeah i mean and also like the kind of it does have like those moments when it does explain itself are sort of like in a certain way, like slapdash and kind of like gestural in terms of like, you're the movie audience, you know how these movies work, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like the the drifter when they're in the, the, the conference hotel uh, ballroom, he he gives like a, it's like a um, half-baked like Patty Chayefsky speech from like Network. Like there's no countries anymore. There's no good guys. There's no bad guys. <laughs> they own everything. They run the show. Like why bother? Why why fight back, you know? Um uh, and because we already can see no matter what he says, we see that he's slimy because he's got such a weird haircut and like a bad tuxedo. <laughs> Accurate.
2: Yeah. Accurate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a movie in which explanations matter. Yeah.
1: No. Um, yeah. It's all on the surface. Um, uh at at this point they they do they um you know they they raid the, the the television studio the television station which is another kind of orgy of violence on the level of like a rambo or a, a terminator movie or something like that it's really quite um you know quite violent it's just so funny to look at these movies and think about like the discourse around violence and then to watch like the current superhero movies which are like also which seem mm. like cartoonified, but then like mm. entire cities are destroyed in like the Avengers movies. Like right. thousands of innocent people are clearly being killed. And yet these movies feel more violent just because like you see a few cops get blown away with shotguns. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but they waste all these soldiers and office workers <laughs> and it's just like completely nuts uh, in this, in this uh, studio raid. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
2: I I'm curious what you both make of um uh, of the woman. What is her name? Does she have a name? Holly. Holly, Holly, Holly Thompson. Right. Great name. Um mm-hmm. Holly. Yeah, I'm just curious what you make of her. I mean, it, you know, it is this is definitely like not a um uh not a feminist movie. Um <laughs> and probably one that in keeping with the sort of like tradition that it's in and that it enjoys is it like a little bit of a misogynist movie mm-hmm. but like the function of her it is extremely hilarious that first of all she's so distinctive that act mm-hmm. that actor is so visually distinctive Meg Foster. um you know like uh i mean there's you know uh she she has an extremely distinctive face that looks like some other actresses, but then she has like very light blue eyes which right. in a which is quite disconcerting gives her a real like kind of a um it gives her quite an alien look her gaze right. is quite alien and and strange um and then like we're sort of like suspicious of her and then we feel like she's okay but the revelation that she's a collaborator is both not a surprise and also happens incredibly suddenly and then yeah, yeah. like she basically dies immediately
1: yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <that>. yeah
3: <laughs> Yeah. She very much seemed like, um, two things. One, she reminded me a lot of, and I thought this is who it was at first, I thought it was Jane Badler, who was Diana in the V television series mm. from the 80s, mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. the human skin over reptilian bodies. Uh, great show. Uh, she has that, <clears throat> aside from the eyes, she has that uh, great show. She has that classic look, which indeed like made her uh, uh, read like a potential alien. But she's also Roddy... Piper's uh, she's an appropriate foil in that yeah. her her flatness in response is it uh, meets him just perfectly yeah. And yeah. even yeah. they I they die in the same way which is just to sort right. of like stiffly rock stiffly just sort of pivot back on a 90 degree right. angle <laughs> 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 which makes her yeah she, she's she's sort of like the bland taffy to his his cotton candy well they <laughs> They share
1: also, I find <clears> that the, they have a kind of physical resemblance in the face, which yeah. I, I, I have a kind of like thesis about like, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Men, women pairs in 1980s films, especially where they like just seem to resemble each other in yeah very eerie way. Like the one that comes to mind immediately is like Michael Douglas and Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Like yes. they just yes. have a physical wow. yeah right like both kind of women both have a kind of like you know uh, you know square jaws and like yep. distinctive yep. noses that um, cheekbones uh, cheekbones yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah her eyes really like you know mark her out as as very different i think too like the um her the way she stands out against a lot of the other act all the other actors in the film really who who really look like very ordinary looking people like uh like aside from Roddy Piper's like physique he's like <laughs> not a particularly like You know, he's not like Rob Lowe, he's not like a very handsome man like-
2: He's not a handsome man.
1: Keith David, the drifter guy, Peter Jason who plays Gilbert, they're all pretty ordinary looking people, you know? Um, Whereas Meg (laughs) Foster is like very, very distinctive looking. and then in terms of, like, her role, her, like, place in the narrative film, I was just, as you were describing it, Hillary. I was reminded of this remark by uh, Bud Bedecker, who's a famous director of Westerns. And he has this famous line that he says, like, you know, a woman in a Western really has no meaning internal to herself. She only exists to make me- make the hero do something heroic, essentially is what he says. Like, it o- she only exists to, as the basis of, like, heroic masculine action right and typic and in a bud pecker film usually what that means is that the woman is um, you know helps to redeem the man and then the woman uh you know she she she's never really a romantic interest but she lives and she's always a a source source of good. Here, it's mm. the exact opposite, right? It's um, it's the exact opposite in that she is she exists to you know as the ideal for Roddy Piper's character, like oh, I'm going to be a hero and save this woman and like save the day or whatever. But then it turns out she is you know this collaborator and and, and villain. So it's a just kind of like again a kind of like really ham fisted ideological uh inversion uh like that that uh is is you know just further obfuscatory in 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 its own way like it it, um uh so yeah um what else was i gonna say about that but yeah she like her existence as
3: a collaborator doesn't really do anything
1: yeah yeah what's funny is that she From the beginning, when we see her, I mean, maybe not in the car, but once they get to her apartment, there's already something suspicious about her and weird. I don't think we ever really trust her, um, which, you know, increases the idea that Nada is like a stupid idiot. Um, (laughs) uh, But then, like, yeah, she doesn't really, like, what did she do as a collaborator? They still were able to, like, raid the entire office, kill a bunch of people, and blow up the satellite. Like, she didn't, you know do her jo- she's bad at her job
2: yeah i mean i i it does seem like in one way she she executes
1: she works- her
3: competitive love interest
2: oh that's true
1: that's she true caps keith david like off screen and like very very suddenly as you said hillary like just comes sort of out of like the revelation comes out of nowhere and then like immediately she you know she tries to kind of seduce um nada momentarily and then he just blows her away
2: I mean, she definitely serves this, like, you know, as as female characters often do, like, the, that sort of, like, structural function, right, of, like, producing, like, the motive, as you mm-hmm. were saying, right? And also, she serves the structural function of making it so that the movie is not, in fact, about these two men, um, mm-hmm. you know, loving each other or being drawn to each other, um, but instead about, like, you know, an appropriate sort of, like, you know... Uh, a homosocial relationship as opposed to one that seems to like veer into like the erotic right Mm -hmm. you know she she anchors that in a way that like keeps that from being a problem um but there's also a a way in which I was thinking about how she is actually like um yeah it seems right that she's like the only she's the only beautiful person in the movie and also she's like more beautiful than the like glamour ladies that we see on TV. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, uh, so, mm-hmm. so there is something that is just like quite, I mean, probably like if we kept investigating this, it would depressingly keep leading us to like thinking about like, you know, misogyny, but, yeah, yeah. but there is something that's really like weird and fascinating about like the thing, the thing that like, um, you know, um, Nada keeps saying about the ghouls and even the idea that they are ghouls is that they're so ugly, so ugly, you know? (laughs) Um, Which again, like, it's this very funny, like, you know, in so many ways, the movie, you know, Matt, I feel like you've been really bringing out about how much, you know, how much the movie, like, sort of, like, um, not only is a Hollywood film, but, like, sort of delights in certain relationships to to Hollywood film, and also is clearly, like, very, like, critical in some ways anyway, of the culture industry and like really kind of like wants to like, you know, really does sort of like push that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so it's interesting to also then have this kind of like oddly glamorous, I mean, she does look like a movie star, even though it seems like she didn't really have a career where she fully became a movie star, but she does look like a movie star. Yeah. Um, Or she looks somewhere between like a movie star and someone who's going to end up on like the love boat you know, like, yeah. as a special she's, guest star. Somewhere she's between actually, movie star and guest star.
1: <laughs> she's actually a little too distinctive looking to be, and also, like, as a woman, her, you know, sort of, like, sharp, angular features are like not going to lend herself to being like a, a romantic love interest necessarily. Um, but she is like distinctive looking enough, The you know, uh, you know, like I say, aside from like Roddy Piper's like physique, she's definitely the most distinctive looking person in the film. So there is this kind of like weird star quality that she does have that, um, that is kind of, it's kind of lost in the kind of, um, uh, environment that Hollywood allows types, you know, types of women to thrive, like, you know, yeah, like physical yeah. types to thrive. Um, yeah, what was I gonna say? But I think that the point about the culture industry too is interesting because, like, all the all the critique is directed toward television none of it's directed toward movies Mm, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. like uh we don't see anybody go to the movies so that but like what we're watching the whole time is a movie so it's part of that kind of long history of like the movies critiquing hollywood as this uh vast wasteland um and where you can't actually get any Mm. because again like all you oh that was what i was gonna say that one of the hilarious Mm. commercials or maybe it's a news segment on the tv that we see is uh, like a fashion show. And they're like yeah. the ugliest sweatshirts yeah. that I've ever seen in my life. And like the line that they're talking about is like, glamour is back. Like you're going to, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And they're like just these giant sweatshirts with these ugly buttons, like stuck to them. It's like it's, it's really
2: good. It's really good. Yeah. I got, I feel like, uh, you know, just in case anyone listening to this has not watched this movie. Yeah. You should watch it. You should really watch it because perhaps we have not conveyed this you gotta do but it, it. is an incredibly fun movie to watch. It's so fun. Just like really really fun, super like um diverting in all of these ways and like full of things that are just like unexpected and totally fascinating. Um uh yeah, just like really really like what a completely pleasurable movie. I mean, I yeah. I tend to like John Carpenter movies and his, that, you know, this is definitely like in that, you know, it's a John Carpenter movie, John but Carpenter it's movie. awesome.
1: In his prime, those 80s movies are like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bill, anything more? Anything Absolutely. you got to say to wrap up? Got any plugs?
3: just such a delight to talk (laughs) with you technological (laughs) issues aside um this is the lag that you're experiencing right now so i'm just gonna plow through until i finish my final piece which is uh it's just great to talk movies with you guys and uh i miss being able to uh to go to the movies with you in person some of my favorite social memories
1: yes I understand yes. that there is a lag. I'm seeing now that you have a 1,524 MS network round trip, according to the website that I'm looking at. I don't Ooh. know what any of that means. That's how I like it. Yeah. But uh, we thank you for being here. And hey, here's to some future movie uh, Maroon at the Movies uh, episodes, uh, co starring Bill.
2: It was, yeah, Bill, it was amazing to have you here. And Can't I'm, just, wait. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to put in a plug, my plug. Is for eventually fucking COVID is going to end. Oh, yeah. And um, either uh, Bill and I will go to Maine and visit with Matt or Matt yeah. will come back to Chicago and visit with us here. And um, we will go to a movie theater and we will eat popcorn and sit in movie theater chairs and there'll be a really big screen and the movie will be a terrible movie that we absolutely should not have chosen to go to. And then we'll drink a beer and it'll be just fucking great. No, that, I, this is a wish that I have for everybody, everyone who's listening, as well a as the
3: three of That is a certainty and a joy for which I cannot wait.
1: <laughs> that is a truly utopian wish. Uh, we'll see if it ever happens. We might all be dead this time next week.
0: <laughs> um, by the way...
1: Uh, speaking of next week you know guess what's happening next week Hillary one Uh, week from yesterday I think today
2: tomorrow one One week week from today one week from today it's new book day ministry for the future ministry for the future yeah it's exciting super exciting can you can you hear this that's my I'm flipping the pages of
1: my copy of my huh. advanced reader copy. You probably can't hear it.
2: But um, No no we could I think we could hear that and uh, have you finished it already? I finished it. It's amazing.
1: Oh my god. I plowed through it. So uh, we will either what do you think, Hillary? We're we gonna come back with that book or are we gonna do one more movie?
2: Uh, well, let's see. So, um, I, I, I do have, um, a digital copy of it, Mm -hmm. but I have been, um, busy, busy. Um, and I did pre-order a, um, physical copy of it and, um, so, like, just assuming. And when next week, I have to um, lecture on a little fellow named Hegel, uh. um, which will take up just a little bit of my time. Getting that polishing up that uh, lecture. How hard <laughs> um, mutual, could mutual mutual recognition? Oh, it's 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 a breeze. It's really breezy. Um, so, but anyway, uh, I think we should try for our next episode to be first episode on ministry for the future. Okay. Um, uh, I think we can we can aim aim for the stars, man. Let's aim okay. for the
1: stars. You know. All right. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll be we'll be back soon or later, <laughs> uh, and you know, you guys can get your books and start reading, and then we can get read your along with you. books and start reading. It's gonna We're be We're gonna awesome. be
2: talking. The conversation is gonna be it's gonna be great.
1: Uh, thank you for listening to this very long episode. This is the longest episode we've ever done. And. <laughs> you know which is good and um uh we can you can follow us on twitter at podcast on mars and you can email us at maroon at gmail.com mm-hmm. and rate mm-hmm. and review us and watch they live and born in flames and get your copy of the ministry for the future uh which we'll start reading anon
2: yeah yeah thanks thanks everybody thanks for listening thanks to bill for uh, guesting and making this a
3: delight Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, my friends. Bye. Bye.